Um, and with that, we'll pray and we'll get into our passage for today. So we are in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 52. And let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We, um, as we just sang, we, 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 we look forward to the end of all of these troubles and we know that that day is, is coming. And so we long for it. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that he was our substitute on the cross. And today as we enter into the story of the passion, as we look at Gethsemane and, and uh, his arrest, Father, we are thankful that Jesus uh, stood in our place. And so, Lord, we ask that as we look at the story, that it would come alive to us, Lord, that you would help us to see truly the, the significance of this event and the gravity of, of what Jesus endured on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, let's read the passage here. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14, verse 26. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were saying the same thing also. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Immediately while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up and accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, 
He is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But they pulled, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We, Lord, we ask that you would help us now as we navigate this passage. We ask that you would comfort us in light of all that's going on. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. Well, we can. I, I, the last three months have been absolutely wild. It's 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 uh, you know uh, unprecedented is a word that we keep hearing over and over again. Um, every time we don't think something else can happen, something else happens, and it's it's uh, it, it, it's 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 wearisome. Uh, last last night, um, I, I zipped down the hill to go into Smart and Final and driving through Escondido and then getting the Spartan final to see everything like boarded up uh, like you would see in uh, not so much like a war zone but maybe like you're expecting a hurricane and it, it just you know there's, 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 it's, it's hard to comprehend the, the, the weightiness of, of all that's going on and um, like, I, like I don't know about you but I, I f- feel helpless. You know, we want to fix the problem. And how do we fix the problem or the problems? What are the problems? And how do we uh, resolve it? And, and so, um, like, uh, you know, a, a couple of th- things is, like, like, I know I'm not for racism. Uh, I, I think being from California and a San Diegan, I, in large part, I, I don't know if naive is the right word, but I, I think... Uh, um, like in my early years, I wasn't exposed to racism, so I, it it wasn't a, a real thing t- to me. Not just because I'm a white guy, but but I just truly just didn't see it. And um, from from either side of it, and then I right out of high school, I was in the Navy. In the Navy, there there like again, no racism. It was just um, brothers that all bled red. And and um, but right out of boot camp and then into SEAL training, we, they fly us out to Fort Bragg, wherever that is. I think it's north of uh, uh, Atlanta. So you're in, <clears throat> and now I realize I've got a bunch of Army people in this room looking at me. And, uh, but me and the Army don't get along. And, <clears throat> and so we're at jump school, and the guys there, they definitely did not like our haircuts or lack thereof. And, and so they kept harassing us. We kept pushing back. And, and finally, the, the Sergeant Airborne guy, he said something. Like, Can you guys just kind of clean up your hair around the ears a little bit? Like, you're really, like, I know you guys are, like, elite and you've been through your training, but these guys are just out of boot camp. And 
And we're like, all right, all right, we'll clean up our ears. And, and so I decided that I didn't want to get my hair cut on base because I don't think Army guys know how to cut hair. Uh, or maybe they, cut it, they know how to cut it too well. And so we, a group of us thought we would, we would head out into town to get a haircut. And, and so there I was, you know, 19-year-old gunner, walking into this barber shop. Initially, I was blown away because the barbers were all smoking. Like, they're just in there. The, the place was filled with smoke. And I'm like, man, I'm not in California anymore. And then I remember I got in the chair and the barber, and I'm not going to quote him verbatim. I'm going to not say the one word, the N-word. But he looked at me with the cigarette dangling off his lip, and he said, you guys better be careful. There's a bunch of blank kids running around the parking lot. And I remember being just... Like, it was surreal, and I don't, I don't even know that I, um, like, I don't know that I even knew how to respond. It was like being in a movie or something. It's like, this still exists? Like, is this? And so, and I don't, re- I don't remember there being a big scene or anything. I just remember kind of being shell-shocked leaving that barbershop, and it, it stuck with me until the, the second incident of racism that I really clearly saw and the second incident was in one of my platoons. We, we had a, a, an African-American male in our platoon. And we, when we were in Memphis, Tennessee, and basically we're like, hey, we're going to go down to Beale Street on whatever night it was and go get a meal. And we were walking into a restaurant, and our, our buddy with us is like, guys, I can't go in there. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? Who'd you offend? You know, we were kind of making a joke about it. He's like, no, I'm black, and I can't go in the restaurant. And then we... Um, I think that the owner talked to him, like, like kind of went up and said, hey, you're not welcome in here. Somebody had muttered something to him to let him know. And we all decided that that was a bad policy, and so we all ate in the restaurant, and um, our platoon was, we ate in the restaurant instead of our buddy. They probably spit in our food. Um, and, and so I, I say all of this to say, like, I'm not naive that racism exists. It's, it's, um, it's certainly in our world. Um, it's, it's not of Christ. The, the other side of the coin is, like, I'm all for law enforcement. I, I love law enforcement. I'm great. Like, I've been all around the world, and we don't want to live in a place without law enforcement. Like, um, I've, I've spent probably more time in a cop car than the average person in the front seat, not in the back seat. Um, but but as, a, as a chaplain, I have I've spent... I mean, I have no idea how many hours I've spent in, in, in the front seat of a car. And to go from, like, horrific calls and, like, where there's true evil in the world and, and to see these officers intervene in, in, in true evil, um, in, in some cases where I'm responding after an officer has had to shoot and kill somebody because that person was about to kill their spouse or something, and to see the trauma that's inflicted on the officers, um, but, 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 to, but people don't seem to get you. Go to a traumatic scene, and then the next scene, it's like a little old lady that's confused and lost and doesn't know where she is. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, like, uh, like over and over and over again, I see the, the quality of officers. I think it was a couple Christmases ago, somebody in Escondido was robbed on Christmas Eve, and all of their gifts were taken. And a, a band of officers pulled together that night and went, went not grocery shopping, but Christmas shopping. And they, out of their own pockets, like, replenished these gifts, not because anybody made them to. Like, so, so it, all of this, like, there's, 
there's pain in this world. And, and, and that's, that's the reality. Like driving into Escondido yesterday, seeing all the boarded up windows, this, the, the, the burden. I, I, I remember, not remember, like it was a long time ago, but like driving home, I called Anna. And it was just like, I just want to get out of this place. Like, I, like I'm just, you know, and it's not like I want to move. But it's like I, I, this day when all these troubles will end because what we're seeing is, is, is a fallen world and we're seeing the depravity of, of man in a, in a real way. We're seeing politicians that are trying to solve these deep spiritual issues in a way that they're never going to be able to remedy what only Christ can remedy. Um, kind of grappling this week and looking at this passage, it's like, oh, do I want to even, do I need to have to have another special message over, you know, like I interrupted one time our study in Mark and it's, do I, do I need to interrupt again? And the more I thought about that, the more I realized that the most relevant passage for what we're dealing with is right where we are, is we are beginning the crucifixion story. And while in today's story we're not at the cross, the first blows are being struck on Jesus. Like he's beginning to receive the, the stripes, the, the, the wounds, the beating um, that are being done on, for us, for our sin. He's absorbing the wrath of God for the sin which we deserve. And so what our world needs is Jesus. What I need is Jesus. Um, and so with that, let's look at our story. There's three parts here. With these three services, I have to, I have to zip along. Um, but verse 26. So verses 26 through 31. This, this is, the, the first section deals with sort of the dangers of self-reliance. We see Peter, but really it's all of them. Peter's just the, 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 the spokesman for the rest of the disciples. We see a, a super self-reliant Peter. And what we read is, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. So our story moves. Last week we ended it, the commentators believe that it was around one in the morning when they left the um, Bethany to, to, um, or excuse me, I think I made a mistake during the last message. I caught myself. I, I got all my stories mixed up. We've already left Bethany because we had the Lord's Supper last week. And so now we're in Jerusalem and they're making their way down. So I had a, I think, thankfully the last one is not recorded, but I made a blunder. Nobody called me on it. Um, but so um, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, uh, you will all fall away because it is written. So as they're, they're transitioning, now in my mind, I've got to like fix all the geography. So now they're in Jerusalem somewhere, and then they're kind of making their way back to the Mount of Olives. Bethany is on the eastern side of, of Jerusalem, about a mile east. Um, this, the panoramic sh- shot that you often see looking at the, at the golden dome of, of, uh, of, of Jerusalem is, is normally from standing on the Mount of Olives. It goes down to a valley that's a Kedron Valley, and at the base of the valley is where, um, they're, they're, where the story is moving to. And as they're moving there, um, Jesus says, listen, you're all going to fall away. All 11, Judas is already gone. And he looks at 11, he said, all of you are going to fall away. And he says, because it's written, he points to the scriptures. It is prophesied in Zechariah 13, 7, 
that I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And so this picture is that the father is going to strike down the, the Messiah, that the wrath of the father is going to be placed upon the son. And in this moment, the, the sheep um, shall be scattered. The, the picture that I have in my mind is as, as a little boy or even as an adult, if, I'm, if I find myself in the right situation where you're at like a lake or a river and you can see a school of fish in the water and every little boy, what we want to do is what? Throw a rock at them because that's what little boys and big boys do. We throw rocks. And, and when you throw the rock, all of the fish kind of, like they kind of scatter. And then eventually they kind of come back and you do it again and it's a lot of fun. And that's sort of the picture that I, that I have in my mind, what Jesus is saying. This event is going to be violent. All of you are going to scatter. And then he says in verse 28, but after I have been raised, he again in the midst of, he continually speaks of the crucifixion. He continually speaks of what's going to happen to him. But he always tacks on that he's going to raise from the dead. And he says, when I have been raised or after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And so they're all going to regather in Galilee, and they'll pick up from there. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. So last week, as Jesus at the Lord's Supper is telling them that one of them will betray him, and they all say, hey, with humility, is it, is it me? Am I going to be the one that falls away? And they kind of one by one went around, and, and Jesus calls out Judas. So now they think that they're all safe. And so when Jesus now tells them, like, hey, don't get too confident because you all are going to scatter, and Peter basically pipes up and says, even though all of, them, all of these other guys, these young whippersnappers, they might fall away, but not me. I will not. Verse 30, and Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. You say you won't scatter, but I'm telling you that before this night is over, you're going to deny that you even know me. By, by verse 69, we see the servant girl, like, I think she's identified other accounts as like a 12-year-old girl, says, hey, you're one of them. And he's like, no, no, no. By, by the end of chapter 14, Peter's like, it, it says that he's swearing, and there's great debate, is he using profanity or is he making a vow before God? Whatever, like the vow before God is probably, like it is worse than profanity, but he basically is swearing that he doesn't know Jesus by the end of this chapter. This is huge. Like Peter's trying to be strong, and he, and he says in verse 31, but Peter kept insistently like saying, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. So they're pushing back against Jesus, this total self-reliance, and maybe Jesus, Peter would have died for Jesus, but he wouldn't deny him. And that, like it, he was going to deny him. And so now they come to the place called Gethsemane. So this is at the very base of the mountain, what this word means. It literally means olive press. It was, uh, there's a, a, an orchard of olive trees, and so they would harvest the olives, they bring them down to the base of the hill, and as they would put them in bags, they would put this huge, I mean, it's a huge... Uh, looks like a tractor tighter that's a stone that they would place on the bags and then the weight of it would press down on the bags and then uh, the olive oil would then seep out of the bags and the first press is like the extra virgin oil and then with every secondary press the, the oil becomes less quality. And so here Jesus is, the weight of the world is pressing on him in the location where the weight is placed upon these, uh, these olives 
And so this is a, a heavy moment. Um, if you ever have the opportunity to go to Jerusalem, this is one of my favorite Catholic churches. I don't normally like going to the Catholic churches because you know, my upbringing, and, but whatever. This is my favorite church of all of them. And it's at the base. They, they do away. You visit this location in the middle of the day. But this whole scene that we're reading about happened in the hours between you know, one in the morning and three in the morning. So it's like the dark, eerie hours. And this, this church, it's like super dark stained glass windows. So when you walk in there, um, they maintain a super, um, they make sure that the atmosphere is preserved with like being quiet and being somber and allowing like the mood of the night of, of Gethsemane to sort of... Uh, depress upon you. Um, it, on this section, Spurgeon says this. He said, here we come to the most holy of holies of our Lord's life on earth. This is a mystery like that which Moses saw when the bush burned with fire and was not consumed. No man can rightly expound such a passage as this it is a subject for prayerful, heartbroken meditation more than for human language. William Barclay says this, surely this is a passage we must approach upon our knees. And Carson says, as his death was unique, so also was his anguish. And our best response to it is hushed worship. And so as we approach this section, as we see Jesus share the weight of what he's undergoing, the feelings that I felt yesterday driving through Escondido, like seeing these businesses and just being gripped like with the news and everything that's going, like just the weight and the burden of the sin that's around us, it just is very heavy right now. But it's only a sliver of what Jesus felt going to the cross. And he absorbed all of the sin of the world. And so here we come, verse 32. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began, uh, um, he took Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And so he basically sits the, let's see, do the math. There's There's 11. So he takes eight of them. He sits the eight of them down. And then he takes three more, Peter, James, and John, these three guys who had special access throughout Jesus's ministry. He takes them even further. And then once he sits them down, he tells them what's going on and he, he bears his soul to them. Um, I, and always teases me, you know, once you've had a child, you kind of, it's like the trump card for any procedure, and so then I try to like run with it, and my kids are always harassing me because I show them my my scars from my hernia surgery. Say, mom had her little surgery, but look at I have three holes in my belly from like the, and and it never, which eggs me on even more to like take it to the nth degree. But there's something about a medical procedure. You know, you can have a surgery that's that's down the road, and it's like no big deal. And, and then there's something about that morning. Like when the actual day came, it's like, oh, I got to go in for surgery today. This is like terrible. You're drinking your morning coffee and you're like, I don't know why my hand's so shaky. I like don't want to go into this. And there's, there's something about that moment of like the reality of the terror of what they're going to do to you. 
And Jesus has been saying, like, you know, he's been pushing and saying that the hour hasn't come, the hour hasn't come, but now the hour's come. And in verse 34, as he takes Peter, James, and John, listen to how he pours out his heart to them. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, like the agony of anticipating what is about to come upon him. He is about to die just with that weight of knowing. And he says, remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and he began to pray. And so if we see Peter's independence, we see Jesus' dependence upon the Father, pleading with the Father. He's praying, he's saying, if it were possible that the hour might pass by him. And he was saying, verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so he's pleading with the Father, please, if this cup, this cup of wrath, please let it pass if there was any other way, which the most obvious thing to consider here is there was no other way. That Jesus, this, the, the, the New Testament is very clear about the exclusivity of Jesus being the path to the Father. He says, if there's any other way, if there's anything else we could do, let it pass. But clearly there was no other way, and the wrath of the Father was to fall on his Son. And so verse 37, he goes and he checks in with Peter, and he finds them asleep. He came and found them asleep and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We could spend time dwelling on Peter, but we, we really don't have time. I'd rather focus on what Jesus endured for us. And so verse 39, he went again. He went away and prayed saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. Of course, I mean, it's two in the morning or whatever. It's middle of the night. They've had a long day. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came to them a third time, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And we're told that as he's saying this, Judas shows up with a band of guards. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one seize him, and lead him away under guard. So when I see this, I think of it like there's no street lights, there's no flashlights, there's, um, this is in the middle of the dark. I can't help but to think of, uh, thinking of this, um, like my former life doing a raid or uh, working with the police department when they have like a no-knock warrant in the middle of the night, and it's like you're you know, death by PowerPoint of all of the things, the building, the structures, all the things you might encounter. And then there's always like the one or two slides, like the picture of the target. Like this is the guy. You know, these are ways that you can identify him. Maybe there's tattoos, maybe there's earrings, maybe there's what, what, whatever it is. And 
In my old days, it was never really a big deal. Like, I never really stressed out about that. But as a chaplain, when I go sit on these briefings at like 2 in the morning, I'm like, oh, man, that looks like half the people you see on the street. How are they going to know? And, and Judas gives him their, his, present, his PowerPoint presentation. Hey, the one I go to, the one I kiss, that's your target. So everything's been set up. Now, verse 45, after coming, Judas immediately went to him, Jesus, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. I can't think of any worse betrayal. Whenever we see Judas's name, he's always identified as one of the 12, one of the, one of the men who had access to Jesus throughout all of his life, through, through his teaching, through his miracles, and yet uh, he betrayed him. And we're told in verse 46, they laid hands on him and seized him. And so the, the beating, the wrath begins here. Don't, don't take this as a, as, a, as a gentle sort of uh, taking him into custody. This was a violent action of getting him into custody. Verse 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now we know from the other accounts that this is Peter. And before we go too harshly on Peter, uh, we, we see in the other accounts that as they're about to head out, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, hey guys, do you remember when I sent you out two by two and I told you don't, don't take anything, don't bring a money belt, don't bring anything to protect yourselves, just, just go and trust on the Father. They're like, yeah, yeah, of course we remember that. He said, well, this time's different. Now you need a, you need a sword and if you don't have one, sell your cloak and get one and, and the guys all scramble and they find a sword and Jesus says, okay, that's enough. Like that, that will suffice to defend yourselves. And so they have the sword. Clearly, Peter's holding it. And they, they move out from the Lord's Supper to the scene. Jesus is now violently arrested. And Peter is doing what he said. He was going to defend Jesus. And so he cuts off this guy's ear. We know from the other accounts that Jesus heals this guy. He looks at Peter and says, listen, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Like, put that away. That's not, this is a part of the Father's plan. But it's fascinating to me that in this moment, in this environment, Peter absolutely is willing to go to his death. And by the end of the chapter, as the environment shifts and we have a little girl and some things as things are transpiring, that Peter's confidence isn't what it is here. Like he denies even knowing Jesus by the end. And while it would be easy to condemn Jesus or Peter here, I know in my own life there are some environments where it's very easy to be bold for Jesus, that we can make a stand and, and, and a defense for him. And in other times when I don't have the same confidence. Um, like here, it's very easy for me to be bold. Throw me around a bunch of my SEAL buddies, suddenly it's a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit more uneasy. But Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. So right away they come through with violence, they come through armed, they come through, and Jesus isn't condemning them for how, um, like their procedure. Um, My master's thesis is on the Christian in combat and so what Jesus says is like, hey, if you're going to take a robber and somebody that's a violent criminal, this is exactly how you do it with force to keep everybody safe and you use this. He's like, I'm not a violent man. I've been teaching openly and publicly in the temple. Why did you guys not arrest me publicly and take me into your custody then? Why are you you treating me 
like a criminal in this way. Where he actually says, but this has been taking place, this is taking place to fulfill scripture. So he calls them, but then he says, this is all happening to fulfill scripture. And verse 50, what they said they wouldn't do, they now all leave him, and Jesus is alone. They flee. They scatter, just like Jesus said they would. And Jesus is going to endure this, this quote-unquote trial and his execution all alone. And then Mark adds these funny two verses, or funny for me at least. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Now, you can, you, can read, you can read commentators. There's like 15 different suggestions. The one I tend to buy into is that uh, this is Mark, the, the writer. This was him, that, that somehow he was connected closely, uh, maybe following Peter. And, and I think what he's doing is he's exposing his shame and the arrest, that he didn't stand faithfully with Christ, that he too, in this moment, uh, fled out of shame away to get away, to not be linked together with Jesus. And so as we enter this story, as we wrap up here, um, do you know, like all of the weight of the sin, like as you go about today, as you watch the news, as you drive through the town and you see these businesses boarded up, as you see like hurt and anger of, of all that's in our world, like for us as Christians, the, the, big, the big what do we do? The, the what do we do is we, we lean into the cross, we lean to Jesus, we point people to him, we recognize that it's because of the cross and through the cross that we can have peace with God, that we can be reconciled to one another. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25, Peter writes these words, For you have been called for this very purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And yet, while being reviled, <clears throat> he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus did for us what we can't do on our own. So with that, we're going to pray. Why don't we stand? Um, I, I read from a song, but I got enough feedback that we wanted to close in song again. And the words are still there, so I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll sing the doxology on the back. Uh, the back screen there. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we ask that you would draw us close to yourself. Lord, help us to understand what Christ did on our behalf, what he's done for the world uh, that we look upon, Lord. There's so much pain and so much anger and just so much hurt. And so, Father, we do pray for the community around us, for our, our, our country, and for the world, Lord. Uh, we desperately need Christ. And so, Lord, we, we look to you for help and healing, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.